After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to another Baseball America playoff podcast. We like doing these daily. People seem to like it as well. We appreciate all the downloads on iTunes. Feel free to review us and rate us on the uh, iTunes app or however you digest this podcast. Uh, I'm John Manuel along with J.J. Cooper and Kyle Glazer this morning. Uh, game one of the World Series in the books, guys. Uh, six nothing victory for the Cleveland Indians, and you know JJ, we've done these podcasts pretty much every day, and we talked about how uh, you know I, I can't remember if it was this podcast or some another one I did here locally, but it does seem like Corey Kluber was uh, if you're looking for best kept secrets uh, in baseball, he's one of them just because of how good he's been <laughs> winning a Cy Young Award two years ago, but being a Cleveland Indian and not uh, that not being a, a prominent team nationally. You're not going to have much more of a coming out party than last night where there was actual, I think, debate and should have been doubt about whether or not they should have taken him out for Andrew Miller, which has been an automatic move. But uh, Corey Kluber was so good last night, and it seems like he was at his best in the first couple of innings. Right. I, I do think that part of that decision to pull him, I wonder how much of that is, is, well, you're going one four seven, so let's uh, let's give you a little bit extra rest because... You, we, we expect to see you back very soon. But, no, he was – it is something where I, I do feel – I don't feel too much for Cleveland fans because they didn't – I mean, they're, they're, out, they're out in force now, but they weren't out in force exactly during the year. But it is kind of true. It's like Corey Kluber being a secret is – this is a Cy Young winner. Like, I saw right. a lot of tweets yesterday. It's like, Francisco Lindor, this is his chance to become a star. And it's like, he was – this is, you know, he's not playing at a different level of Francisco Lindor. This is Francisco Lindor. He's a great shortstop who can hit. I mean, that's a but great it, combo. But it is, bottom line, is that baseball is not great at creating or promoting stars. I don't think the average fan who just tunes in the World Series knows who any of these guys are. They definitely don't know Corey Kluber. And they sure as hell don't know that Corey Kluber has this highest spin rate in the major leagues for his breaking ball. And it's, I think he's known and has been known for a while for his ability to get swings and misses with a breaking ball, Kyle. But his fastball last night was just ridiculous. You know, watching his two-seam fastball, I mean, it's always a good pitch. That's a pitch that he's, you know, thrown well for years now and really helped him become one of the best pitchers in baseball along with his other stuff. But the way he was locating it last night, the movement on it, how he was dotting every quadrant of the inner half of the zone against left-handers. You know, it actually made me think, we're sitting here doing our prospect grades, oh, is X a 60 pitch, is X a 70 pitch? The way that was playing last night, is that not an 80 pitch? That's an 80. Exactly. You, you cannot that's, hit it, period. And it doesn't have to be 100 miles an hour. That's what we, we've talked about that for a long time. It's always good to restate. There's more than one component to rating a fastball, and, you know, it's. I do get frustrated sometimes by... Um, I shouldn't, um, but it's not just velocity. When we rank best tools and we talk about best fastball, even in a draft class, there's so many ways to grade a fastball, life, command, um, where, when the life happens. Is it early or late? And there's also velocity, and there's this effective velocity. I mean, there's so many aspects to it. Corey Kluber 
pretty much had everything last night because he commanded a fastball with plus velocity, but it was 80 command. He put it wherever he wanted to, JJ, and the life was always late and always seemed to be where he wanted it. That, that's the thing is, is that it, the command with that life, because there's all... But it's also 94. He wasn't throwing right. 88. Right. right. But, it's not like but it doesn't have to be rolled as Chapman. But right. that command with that life, because it is hard to command a fastball with that much life. It was interesting. I mean, that was a very, very, very left-handed lineup that yeah. he was facing. Which, if you're saying how are you going to attack Corey Kluber, that's a good way to do it because it doesn't take his slider away, but it does diminish it somewhat because, you know, if you're a right-handed hitter, that that slider is Impossible. much more it's much more devastating than if you're a left-handed right. hitter. Going against lefty after lefty after lefty, he didn't need his slider because if you're a lefty. I mean, you, we often talk about how having a changeup can be that equalizer against a, you know, and basically... Traditionally, have, it is. I mean, how right. many really good two-seamers do you see in today's But game? when you have a changeup, the reason a lot of times that it is effective when you are going against a guy who you don't have a platoon advantage is because a really good changeup has that late, it basically that late tail. He was doing that at 94 miles an hour. I mean, it doesn't have the fade as much, but it did have... He could start over and over in on the hands and then tick the on the inside corner of the strike zone. That is essentially an unhittable pitch. Two seamers and cutters away from the barrel all night. And that's the thing is that he has just the ability. When you read a scouting report or you talk to a scout and they talk about the ability to manipulate the fastball, that was what we saw last night. And the great thing about it for me is during the day, you see on social media that it was the 45th birthday for Pedro Martinez, number 45, and you see a lot of Pedro highlights on social media. The barrel. And that's what I'm saying. That is, he was the ultimate pitcher at manipulating a baseball and putting the ball where the hitter didn't want it to be. Uh, and that's what we kind of saw from Corey Kluber last night. He, completely different body, different kind of pitcher, but it was the same effect. And to see someone manipulate the baseball at a high velocity like that it was artwork the first time through. Kyle, did you have any? Did, did you second guess Terry Francona at all for bringing in Andrew Miller when he did? My first thought was they're pulling him at 88 pitches with how good he's been. My initial response, my initial response is this seems a little premature. But again, when it's Andrew Miller you're turning it over to, even though it got a little dicey, I mean it, it's a little more defensible. If this was a case of you know say the Dodgers and they literally have one guy in their bullpen you trust. And you're doing that, maybe I don't like the move if if they have their start doing that. If it's, you know, the Red Sox even with you know some of the bullpen issues they had late in the year at various points, I don't know if you do that. But when you have when you can still go starter, Miller, Allen, and just be done with it, I'm okay with it. The other thing about it is is Miller coming in against that very left handed lineup. Obviously they did bring in some, you know, Castillo came in and they had they did bring in right handers later, but it did mean they still had multiple guys Miller was facing in key situations where he had the platoon advantage, which... It didn't seem like it uh, bothered Kyle Schwarber. No. He took very comfortable swings. Um, and that was, to me, that was the highlight of the game was these two Miller-Schwarber matchups. Because um, Andrew Miller comes in, and he's using that situation not because he's their middle reliever and Cody Allen's their closer. It's because you're facing Schwarber. And I just think it's amazing... That Kyle Schwarber, I think everyone recognizes how amazing what we saw last night was that second at bat where he just missed the home run off the top of the wall. To be that comfortable and that confident in the box when you've basically not faced big league pitching for as long Six as he months. had. 
and uh, a couple warm-ups in the Arizona Fall League, and hey, let's go. Right, it was yeah. two games. It wasn't like he played a week's worth of games in the right. Fall. Two games. Yeah, he played I mean, I know he'd been working out with the, with the Cubs and taking live BP, but it's, but it's, it's not the same. It's different. So come in and face Kluber and Andrew Miller and look as comfortable in the box and take as confident of swings as he did. That's a special, special hitter who it's just really rare to see someone who's that balanced, that strong, and at the same time has those kind of hands. He's such a, it's just such a gorgeous offensive approach to watch. And the walk that he took, I tell you, I've been able to see Andrew Miller up close and from a distance for more than 10 years now. And he was as into that game emotionally, the, the, the displays of emotion that you, you don't see. And he couldn't believe that Kyle Schwarber laid off that 3-2 slider. That was he could not amazing. believe it. was like, who the hell is this guy <laughs> no, that was... taking that slider? That was a nasty pitch. And for Schwarber, that was an amazing take. And then for Miller to still, seeing him a second time, get him out on that 3-2 nasty slider where Schwarber did not get cheated on that swing. Was it 2-2 or 3-2? I forget the count now. I think it was 2-2. But that was just, those two matchups were to me the essence of the game. The batter-pitcher matchup and two guys at an extremely high level going at it. That was that was baseball poetry. I'll throw one other at bat Miller, you know, versus batter that was similar because David Ross, who yeah. is obviously not as accomplished a hitter as Schwarber, but David Ross got ahead. Where I loved, I thought that the announcers did a good job last night. I think it was Smoltz. John they, Smoltz was fantastic. Smoltz last basically night. said, "Here you are, you're you're in a three-one count, if I remember right." It's like. You just basically go up there and you're looking fastball, and if he throws the slider and he throws it for a strike, so be it. You you know, and you you if you see slider, you just take. Right. And that's exactly what Ross did. And the thing about it is, is that what you saw, I mean, in the game theory that is going on with this, if you're David Ross, he Andrew Miller threw that slider, he threw it for a strike, and then you're three two, and it's like you're you are completely screwed. That's right. Because <laughs> Because he showed on 3-1 that he could throw that pitch, then you're sitting here at 3-2, and you have to protect everything, and you can't protect everything against Andrew Miller. He, you, it literally it was, it was because it was a key situation. You've only got two, but they're both so good, you can't, it's so impossible to adjust. You yeah, know? The, thing, the thing that, again, I came away from this game thinking about is, you know, obviously having the pitch mix and being able to have a well-rounded ability to, you know, spot the ball where you want it. But when you have that one pitch, I mean, we're talking about Kluber's two-seamer last night was an 80 pitch. Yeah. Miller's slider is an 80 pitch. Oh, yeah. You can't, so when you have the, you know, each guy with that one pitch that you cannot hit, Major leaguer, accomplished, rookie, doesn't matter. You are not going to hit this. And if you do, you sure as heck aren't going to square it up. That's, That's such a powerful weapon to have and so rare. And, and they made him work. And, they, and they made him work despite those two. He, I thought both pitches were on last night. I thought it was a tribute to the Cubs. They really they really made him work last night. But, it was a 46 but, but, pitches. But, and even with that, they still got shut out with six hits. So right. it's something where right. it's like they made him. I mean, that's how powerful those are. So that's where, you know, I, my takeaway from it was... If you have that, and we talk how rare an 80 anything is, if you have that pitch that can just make major league hitters look helpless, no matter what else you throw, that put-away pitch, beyond put-away pitch, that elevates you to another level. Well, the other thing about it is, is we talked when we talked about the, 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 the arm side run it has, this is one of the things, and one of the things I wanted to talk about today was is kind of the progression of Corey Kluber. I actually printed out our yeah. scouting reports from when he was in the draft, when he was with the Padres, when he was with the Indians, and then... John's IL report when he was no you know the last year was prospect eligible when he prospect eligible after the season but really the the only year we have a report after the transformation has started but one of the points with that is is because 
Kluber did not throw that two-seamer until very late in his minor league career. They yeah. did a good job last night of explaining Mickey Calloway and how he developed and all that. But if you don't have that command and you're throwing that two-seamer, you talked about the barrel manipulation. That's a very dangerous pitch to throw. Oh, if it gets too far over the plate, if you exactly. If you aren't starting that in on the hands where it ticks the inside corner where you're front-dooring guys, if you start that on the basically the inside half of the plate, it's going to end up right on the barrel. That's why that, that's why that pitch is a tough pitch, and that's why there's certain pitching coaches who don't like teaching that pitch. They're, they think it's an injury risk, A, or they think it's a ball that if you miss, if you're a right-handed pitcher and you think about it, a two-seamer is basically, there's a little pronation. It's supposed to be, it's kind of like a half screwball. But if you're trying to get in, if you're trying to throw that, say you're trying to throw that Greg Maddox pitch, that fastball at the hip that backs up over the inside corner, but you instead release it the inside corner, backs up over the middle of the plate, right. you're That's finding the barrel and you're, you, you're getting you, squared up for home runs. You have basically, if you're throwing that pitch, you have two choices with it. It either, it has to either start in off the plate right. or you can go away with it where at the worst case, the, if you miss it a little bit where you started over the middle of the plate, it ends up on the edge right. or it starts off on the edge of the outside corner, basically the arm side corner, and it ends up off the plate right. because that's at least a ball. Exactly. Okay, that's fine. No one's, no one's tagging a, a, a fastball with a two-seamer with run that ends up off the, out plate, out the outside. Very few players, are, I yeah. should say. But the thing about it is, is that this is where, and I wanted to throw out for both you guys, when we're doing this, we're right now in the middle of prospect season, and this is the thing that always is so tough with pitchers. I don't think that is nearly as tough with hitters because Corey Kluber, if you are, you know, when I saw, you know, he's getting mentioned, you know, like, oh, you know, people like the freezing cold trakes, you know, brings out this over and over about this tweet of, you know, a scout been when the Padres traded Kluber saying, hey, that's a number five starter. You know, that's a great trade for the Padres. And obviously that ended up not being true. Great pickup for the Indians. But this is really more of a development story than it is like a scouting story because how do you, you can't project Corey Kluber to turn into Cy Young winner at age 28 right. when he basically has given you this five years of track record where he was, he had a, he had a five, 2011 triple A, 7 and 11, 5 5 6, 153 hits in 152 innings, 4.1 walks per nine, 8.5 Ks per nine. There's no, there's no logical progression. And that wasn't in the PCL either. That, no. wasn't, that wasn't the international. There, but, but no I, logical progression from there to ace. I think it goes back to when a guy's in your own system, you have to know your guys better than anyone else and and you know we've talked a lot and I know Potter's fans kicking when they're down but one of the things that I saw a lot and admittedly this was before I was covering the team but the Padres under Kevin Towers had an incredible pro scouting department and a horrendous amateur scouting department and then in the years after that with you know a mix of Hoyer Burns or the pro scouting department with the rare you know the hit on Tyson Ross the hit on Ian Kennedy but there were so many horrendous moves at the pro scouting level where they just did not properly identify who they even had in their own system. And I think some of that was just the fact that, you know, there was so much turmoil and turnover with the ownership at the time and the new general managers coming in and new scouts and new farm directors. But at the same time, you know, how do you have that guy in your system for as many years as you do and not think, you know, he's got an ability to spin the ball a little bit Let's mess with a two-seamer. And I think some of that was just 
you know, we talk about, oh, you have to draft well. But one of the things I've always I've talked about is you can draft the best studs in the world. No guy who's a great 18-year-old is going to be ready to hit major league pitching when they're 24, 25 automatically. You have to develop them. You have to teach them how to do certain things in the box, how to throw more pitches, how to get that consistent delivery. How, and when you see something, you have to know these guys. When they're your guys, in yeah, and out. That's and the if biggest you don't, mistake. And if you don't know them, you are not doing your job. That is the biggest mistake of an organization when they don't know their own talent. I mean, we always talked about the Braves with that 14-year stretch. They just so rarely they, the pitchers they gave up on were the Pete Smiths, like Jason. Uh, you know, Jason Schmidt was probably the best big league pitcher they traded. You know, but otherwise, they generally traded guys, whether it was Melvin Nieves or Ben Rivera. Right. They or got who Fred else. McGriff for Jack Squat. Right, That's impressive. It was, a, it was a long stretch. Who was where the, John the hundred mile an hour guy back when hundred miles? Jose Capion. Jose Capion. Yeah, like hey. they generally were very good at identifying which prospects had hype that weren't worth keeping and which ones were and that's that's a key for all organizations i do think you hit on it with the padres i'm not trying to criticize the scouts or the, even the front office but a lot of times and you see it whether it was even with the aj preller regime and those new guys who came in and said ah trey turner's not our guy they were wedded to trey turner and they kind of gave him away you know, kudos to the nationals for identifying him and joe ross in that three-team tape heist. trade so heist. that's a heist that's one of the all could be an all-time heist so it definitely happens, I think, with all organizations. When there is turnover, that they, the new regime doesn't value or properly evaluate a lot of times the players well, for the old regime. I, it's, it's funny, like, but, and again, this is just a, a random aside, but bringing it back to Schwarber, you know, it is something where it is difficult. There, I've seen Cubs fans, and this is just fans, but it's Twitter, but, you know, well, I'm, I'm okay with Schwarber being, you know, because we he's not good defensively, and, we you know, he doesn't fit with what we're doing defensively and all. It's like, nope. The, that's when you have a guy who has that rare kind of hit plus power. That is you get him in the on the hitter side. That's the hardest thing to find. Yeah, that's about as an elite of a bat as you can find. I mean, so he was number four in the Florida State League in 2014, the year he was drafted, uh, number four prospect uh, behind Tyler Glasnow, J.P. Crawford, Daniel Norris. Uh, in some ways, I wish I had that one to do over again. But I just I always remember, um, you know, everybody was mixed on his defense. Um, but I remember Dave Keller, his manager at uh, Daytona, those two years. Uh, he had Chris Bryant the year before. He had Kyle Schwarber the next year. And as much as he loved Bryant and as good of a debut as Bryant had, he signed in 2013, uh, was FSL playoff MVP. Then he was the Arizona Fall League MVP. And you know, rookie, rookie of the year, of the, year the next year. <laughs> and probably I mean, the, the MVP this year. The guy never – he just didn't do anything wrong. But he was like, hey, Bryant's a better athlete. He's probably got more power than Kyle Schwarber. But Kyle Schwarber's the best young hitter I've seen in years and years. And, and Dave and I went back to when he was the hitting coach in Hickory in the White Sox organization in 1995, and I covered him. He had Carlos Lee on that team. Some other guys who got to the big leagues like was Mark Ma- Johnson. Was Magno Ordonez? That was the year before, okay. 1994, but good call. Um, very underrated player for he was, his era. He was, and he was a hell of a hitter. Hell of a hitter. Fantastic. So Dave had been around a lot of great hitters, and Schwarber was in a class of his own just for pure hitting ability. And um, so he's but that's, a, that's, and this is what we talked about on the podcast Monday is like when you have pure hitters like that, you don't need a month to get ready. That's right. And that's also knowing your own players. The Cubs knew what they had in Kyle Schwarber. And even Hurt, you had these stories. I saw Mike Berardino tweet this yesterday about um, that the Yankees, the, the Cubs tried to trade for Andrew Miller. The Yankees insisted on Kyle Schwarber being in the deal. 
And the the you know, Cubs said no and moved on to Chapman. The Royals cannot, wanted, the Royals I, said Wade Davis for Schwarber. That no, was the other. I'm just would be terrified to see Kyle Schwarber play that ballpark. <laughs> if Brian McCann and I'll respect the Brian McCann, but if the shell of Brian McCann could still hit 20 home runs a year playing in Yankee Stadium. Well, Kyle Schwarber would be a 50 home run threat with that short porch. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I think that he would be Ruthian. I think that he would hit 60 <laughs> home runs. So two things, a couple of tweets I wanted to point out from last night also. Um, Elliot Johnson, former big league infielder, played with the Indians. I think it was his last team. He had a couple of tweets last night that really maybe set up and take notice. Uh, one where he was talking about Kluber's two-seamer, and he just tweeted out after one pitch, down the middle, Joe, talking about Joe Buck, who actually, for Joe Buck standards, I thought I had a good night last night because he's pretty good at setting up Smoltz. And it's his first World Series game working with John Smoltz. That's, that's not, he's had one other series to build some chemistry. I think Smoltz is an easy guy to set up. He's so stinking good. Smoltz and A-Rod are the stars of so They far. really are TV-wise. TV um, but down the middle, Joe, that's a heavy 93-mile-an-hour backdoor two-seamer with heavy late action catching the black. I love hearing a, a guy who had to hit against that kind of stuff describe it. And then his next tweet, like about an hour later, about Kluver was, I honestly haven't seen that type of two-seam movement on the glove side since Josh Beckett back in the day. That was not who I expected him to uh, bring that up to. But uh, interesting. But yeah, Josh Beckett. And then he, and then he talked about Andrew Miller. 3-1 slider with the bags pack. No big deal. I mean, that is <laughs> that is a yeah. game respect game. I'm not sure how much. I mean, Ellie, I'm giving Ellie a lot of credit. But uh, still, <laughs> it takes a big leaguer, leaguer, I think, sometimes to recognize that. Where we talk about, like, like I think it's cool. Having done games myself... On TV, I think it's cool that I get to do college baseball games on TV or minor league baseball games on TV. But when I've worked with, like, just here locally, Scott Pose with the Durham Bulls or Paul Shuey on some of these Carolina baseball games I did, to have the insight. All when, the time mustache. When, 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 yeah, he did. But when, uh, when Zach Burry this year was throwing 100 miles an hour for Louisville and I just was able to do that game with Paul and just go, so, Paul, you threw 100 miles an hour on this field. What's that feeling like? And he goes, Oh, he knew he threw 100 because he was looking over his shoulder at the radar gun, and he didn't look when it was 98 or below. He knew. And I noticed after Paul, or instantly noticed. So there is something about, I know that we as writers uh, like to, uh, and, and as a lot of baseball fans like to bash sometimes players who are analysts, and sometimes it can be shallow, or when I played this and that, but sometimes they really do bring insights. incredible insight. I think Smoltz is at the top of that list. No, He's because again, extremely the, insightful. The thing that what you want, what you want from an analyst, and I don't think that every player can do this, and that's partly why there are good ones and bad ones at it. But what you want is the person who understands the batter pitcher battle, because that's ninety percent of the time what you're going to be talking about. Yeah. And understands it well enough to have the confidence to say, so here's what you're going to look for here, and here's what's going to happen next. Right, right. And the guys who can do that. And the thing is, to me, Smoltz, for some reason, maybe it was just that, that he never makes a Broadway reference while doing it. He does it in a so much more enjoyable way than McCarver ever did for me. I, I just always thought I was being preached to by McCarver. Well, I feel like Smoltz is talking with me. And I, I it's a difference, well, and uh, I don't know what the difference is. But Tim McCarver always bugged the I, snot out of me with that. I did, I I did love, though, I did, another tweet from last night was pretty good, was is that you know we had the, the moment where Santana cramps up, and so they have to stop the game to basically pump him you know, full of fluids and all yeah. which. Um, and Smoltz is talking about how as a pitcher you have to just accept this. There's nothing you can do about it, all that. And uh, Jeff Schultz uh, with the AJC who covered Smoltz there, and he's like, 
Come on, come on. <laughs> you would have gone crazy if that happened when you were on the mound. Yeah, I, I thought Lester kind of handled it actually better than I expected him to because he's he's got that ornery side. I did. I like this other tweet that Brandon McCarthy wrote when he was talking about that, the gifts. Best, best tweeter right now in Major League Baseball I, for my money. I think it's Dan Heron. Even if he's okay, retired, Dan right. Heron's That's better. Active player is Brandon McCarthy. A- he's sort of active. Hey, he's, 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 <laughs> he's, he's on a 60-day DL and he's getting paid as an active player. He's I love, active. I love Brandon, but he's like, once you go through the yips, it totally changes how you watch. Watch Lester. The fact he's still this good is astounding, and yeah. that is up. I thought I thought that he was good last night, and but, but we knew JJ that what they did, um, that what the Indians' ability to actually make something of their running game, not just threaten it mm-hmm. and tease it like the Dodgers, that it would be more effective, and it seemed like it wasn't. It, it was. Guys. It was. Although the thing about it is, is it's still crazy because Lindor to get thrown out the, the second time he went, but except he didn't throw. He got thrown out because he didn't throw it. Oh, sorry, no, he did got thrown out. Oh, sorry, I'm yeah. stolen base. But, yeah, that was a but he got another incredible hashtag hobby tag. That I mean, was, like I don't even know if he got him or not. I don't think I, I, I don't think he did, but I also don't understand why he didn't challenge. It's him. just and, so and amazing. By, by the way, Ross popped up, but, gone. That was a great was, throw but, by him. Yeah, was, but the thing about this is though is, is that was a 50 throw. It was a two like they the stacked timing quick 2.0, 2.0 though 2.0 throw. Quick time to the plate by quick time to the plate. He's always quick to the plate. Quick release. Quick to the plate, but. The thing that you do come back is is that John Lester's throwing inability to throw, players still cannot process it. And what I mean by that is is like because Lindor did not get a good jump. Lindor got was Stackhouse now can do this, so Stackhouse spit it out afterwards. You know, so he I think he was at twenty four feet when he went, and like the average lead secondary lead is twenty three. Right. Again, you're you do this all year. And even if you've already just seen that literally you went halfway to the bag, he steps off and he's like, I'm not throwing. He, even after you see that, you're still not capable of really believing that, you know what, I can go 28 feet here. Well, it's because it's something you've been doing since you were 12, 13 mm-hmm. years old, where you learn, okay, this is how far I get, this is my secondary league, here's what I look for and get back. You, I mean, it's you, ingrained. You can't, you can't get out of your head. He can, you know, understandably in some ways, but you can't get out of your head. Yeah. No, I'm okay here. He's played close to 700 games as a professional. And none of those games has Francisco Lindor ever thought to myself, I'm going to get 30 feet out from the bag. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go where I normally go and then go one-third well, or 25% more. And, and truthfully, base running is so instinctual. I mean, right. it's such a program. If you're thinking, you're done. I mean, that's, no, that's, no, but I will, one thing I will disagree, because like, having had – the funny thing is, is Mike Roberts, who to me knows more about – like this is what Mike Roberts does. I'm going to say – He's one of the. To he's, me, he's he's very expert in this. I'm sure there are others that we he's, haven't. He's literally to. written the book. Yeah, he's, he's, li- he's written a book. I think yeah. he's. A, I will still. The Colton Wong didn't get the memo. Right. <laughs> Colton Wong learned Colton it wrong. Wong, when Colton he Wong tried. basically ruined the idea of anyone ever doing a jump lead. But we do <laughs> know. But we do know that Brian Roberts was not some 80 runner, and he was Mike's son, and he came to the major leagues fully formed as a amazing base runner and, and aggressive base and, stealer. So Mike is a very good at coaching this. And, and the thing that jumps out though is is that what you're right. It is instinctual, but at the same time. What you coach when you're coaching base running is to also make it intellectual. And that's hard to do. It is very difficult. It's very difficult. But that's like, I will tell you right now, if Brian Roberts, because to me, you just summed it up. A healthy Brian Roberts in the prime of his career reaches against John Lester. And he's on third base. He's on third base every single time because he's one of those few guys who actually can surmount the muscle memory. I'm too far out. Right. He would be at, he would start out. 
at 12 and then 20 and then 25. And by the time hey, Lester... Lindor might be by the next start. Right. It might be. We'll but, see. And if by the time Lester start. goes in, because you know that once he starts to go in his move, you are trusting. He's not throwing over. And so the other thing with that is, is yes, he's quick to the plate, but you're not waiting for a read. You're basically... <laughs> just go. Forget you're just, the read. So just go. you put all that together, but it is. It is very difficult to do. Because you're right, there are. It's not something. This is not something where you normally practice against guys. Where you say the throwing the first base is out of the out of the question, except for a back pick from the catcher after the. Play. That's that's what they have to guard about. They you really have to know that you're going. About. That's the thing is, is that you have to go on this pitch. I'm going, right. and if I get thrown out, I get thrown out. But you know what? There's no part of me trying to get back in time for the back that's, pick. But that is the that is the part of it yeah. that I don't think is factored in. Is the back pick? You you have to totally have the mentality of selling out that you're going, and the back pick is what David Ross has done for years. That's one of the reasons he's Lester's personal catcher. I do wonder he's, what's going to happen next year. Right, it's going to be a challenge. Who Wilson Contreras is not afraid to back pick, right. but he's going to have to hopefully for the Cubs' sake and for John Lester's sake, he's learned some of these tricks and some of how to handle them because. John Lester's not easy to handle. And, uh, uh, you know, but John Lester but, did, by the way, field a ball, a comebacker. And he yeah, underhanded it. No, he no. just bounced it. Well, oh, wait, oh, no, last night he underhanded it. Oh, yeah. Kick save. Kick save, and then underhanded it. So he but did. then there was other, also the swing ball where he didn't even try and get off the mat. Yeah, he just like, like, looked you, at you it. Can, like, you can at least like make yeah. the effort. Jose Ramirez, you know, with the, <laughs> with the uh, Ruthian blast that went about uh, 25 hey, feet, hey, but it was perfect. It's, it's what we say, hey, it's a line drive in the box. I mean, it is crazy. This game last night, now you do have the Roberto. It ends up going, you know, Roberto Perez hits two home runs, and so it gets Right, I do want to talk about it as soon as we segue into that. It was 2-0 because of a swinging bunt that went 25 feet and Brandon Geyer doing what Brandon Geyer does, which uh, I, I don't want to spend much time on this, but I do love in that game last night. You want to talk about profile? Brandon Geyer, okay, who's less profile in a corner outfield spot, Brandon Geyer or Chris Coughlin? Chris Coughlin. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I Brandon Geyer does uh, his one job very well. He Gets on base and hits with decent gap power against left-handed pitchers. That's his job. He does it very well. He's a capable defender. Chris Coughlin right now just looking, I don't know if I'd say lost, but just not, you know, his job is to hit, and he hasn't been very comfortable you know, in the, the box. Thing, the thing with Geyer, too, is that's an 0-2 backdoor slider, that off his back knee. I mean, he did, or not slider, but just a backdoor back knee pitch. And I think for, for him, that's not super easy to lay off of an 0-2 when you're protecting. I mean, that's a ball that I mean, he, he loves to take. Strikes but how's he said this? Brandon Geyer has a built-in radar no, that goes doop 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 doop. Hey, like, this may hit me. And that's and that's what it is. But I mean, you're right. And I think that's that's one of the things. You, know, you look at Lester last night. He didn't pitch terribly, but you know, he had one first thing where you you know walk two guys and hit batter and you know spirals out a little bit, and then you make one bad pitch four innings later to Roberto Perez. And that's all it took. Now, I mean, so we tee you up. Roberto, if anyone in the world can send me a message that from before 8 o'clock last night that says, I predict that Roberto Perez will be the offensive star tonight, well, kudos not, to you. Be, well, but, and beyond not just the offensive star, he got I mean, yes, it's easier when you have Kluber, Miller, Allen, but the catcher is still the guy yeah, in command back there. He guided a six-hit shutout. 15 strikeout performance mm-hmm. behind the plate against a, an, a an excellent, dangerous line. offense. Then went up to the plate, hit two bombs, including one that was a separate. Because it was 2 nothing Indians, and Lester's still dealing a little bit. There's a sense of, okay, this Cubs lineup can still get here. 
when he hits that solo bomb, make it three nothing, you start feeling a little more comfortable. And when he and then when he ends it, I mean, this guy, forget just the offense. He had a fantastic all around game. When you want, what do you want your catcher to do? Guide him through. Guide your pitchers. Make make you know make sure everything is framed perfectly, which he did. And then oh by the way, go ahead and give us some great pop. And again, you talk about the I, when on the prospect side, the two. To me, you know, pitchers are the toughest because pitchers get hurt and pitchers can add a new pitch and all of a sudden be an entirely different person than they were literally two weeks ago. Right, right. But catchers, I mean, now this was Roberto Perez beyond how good Roberto Perez can be. And I say that. Offensively. 159? Is that that what this season average was? was, I don't think it was that bad. But I'm pretty sure it was some He had three homers, though. Right. Yeah, three I mean, homers. He had three homers, and now he had two last night. And now three in the postseason. Keep in mind, this was never a guy. Anyone thought would be strong World Series game when you have Jan Gomes and also they try to get Jonathan Lucroy when Gomes goes down. I mean, the, and they're not. And I mean, the crazy thing is, is they've had Perez has been their catcher. I mean, has Gomes even gotten into a game yet in the postseason? I don't. I don't even think of him. You guys kept on mentioning him in the last podcast. He's just like out of sight, out of yeah, mind. I mean, Roberto Perez is their catcher. But I'm saying, but, I, I, right? I mean, he, he's literally on the roster. I don't even think he's played yet. I don't believe he has because why would he play? Roberto no. Perez is has the pitchers. Doing exactly what he wants to do. I tweeted the kudos to, I mean, like a signing scout, Mike Soper, been with the Indians for a long time, more than a decade. Uh, used to work for the Cubs. My, my Mike Soper business card that I got more than a dozen years ago says Chicago Cubs on it. It's pretty funny. So Soper has, I'm sure, I mean, we know he tweeted about it last night. But uh, Roberto Perez, 22nd round pick of his. And don't forget, this guy had uh, Bell's palsy in 2013. So part of his face was like paralyzed by this nerve condition. Couldn't close his eyes for months. I'm reading the old work report that uh, where current Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins was quoted. Couldn't sleep, had to wear an eye patch at night. I mean, like, what's the deal with him and Mike Napoli, these non-sleepers? That's the new money ball. That's the new uh, under, underrepresented, uh, the market inefficiency. Find players who can't sleep, and figure out how they sleep, yeah, and fix them up. You go back to, to 33rd round pick, I'm going to say. I'm sorry. Lake City, Florida Junior College. That's a great scouting story, and kudos to the Indians. They have a few of those on the team. You, know, you mentioned talking about catchers and what you what you look for, and it, there's no doubt it's incredibly tricky. And again, you know, you guys are, have been doing this longer, probably since before I was born, so I do defer. But hey, come on, <laughs> not quite, but close. You guys started in the nineties. <laughs> I, I was going to say, what was your birthday? Well, I was born in '88. So okay, so you good. guys, you're, I started in the nineties. I was, I was working covering baseball, but not covering minors. Okay, but I mean, you know, for me, when I look at catchers, and I think sometimes we get so caught up in, I don't know, some of the minute, and for me, it's like, look, do you handle your pitchers well, and can you provide some pop? Because if you can do those two things, you have a future. I mean, we, we can talk all we want about, well, is his pop time 1-8 versus 1-9? Well, is, yeah, is, is, his, is, his, you know, is his footwork not 100% optimal? But can you, can, do you frame pitch as well? And can you hit the ball a long way and in spurts? Because if you hit 220, but you can provide 15 bombs and great defense, You're you, have a fu- you have a future in the major leagues as a catcher. And yeah, at the end absolutely. of the day... When we're talking about prospecting and looking for, and but you can have all the ceiling in the but world, the, but, it, but you have to be able to tap into and it Perez, to be a big league. And Roberto Perez, best defensive catcher in the Indian system from 2010, 2011, 2012, best defensive catcher in the Eastern League in 2012. So he has lived up to the expectations that were on him, um, you know, throughout his career as an amateur and as a professional. And he was drafted out of high school by the um, by the Dodgers um, in 2006. So this guy, we, we do have what were his history on him. In the minors? Well, he hit he hit 22 home runs in his minor league career. So in 2014, when he got to the big leagues for the first time, 
that was his best offensive season. And again, that's what he got over the Bell's palsy. Sometimes, and sometimes three or five catcher, catcher right. offense well, develops that, later. But, but he is he is definitely a guy who was there for the catch and throw skills. That's what got him. Uh, a lot of scouts call him survival tools. He had the survival tools, the catch and throw, bilingual, able to handle a pitch a pitching staff, all these intangibles that he does bring to the table. And and then last night, smart enough hitter to sit on a couple of pitches and and, and square them up. But I mean, crazy, just, it was the, really cool to see. The crazy thing with that is, is last night. Literally, he already has done enough to what he's done even in the postseason to kind of ensure gainful employment, if healthy, for the next several, several, several years. But last night essentially locks up that minor league invite to you know to spring training as a 36-year-old if he needs it. I mean, it's like you demonstrate stuff like that as a catcher, and the 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 margin of backup catcher to catcher in AAA it's a big difference and. Roberto Perez, I mean, is is going to basically has played his way into Young Gomes will still be their guy next year, a healthy Young Gomes, but Perez will get fifty. He'll get in fifty games easy. He's 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 gonna have they will he will get more time because as you just said, as you said too, how he's worked with this pitching staff is something that again it's that special. was special. It's downright special. Well, now we got Bauer against uh, against Arietta, one of my favorite storylines that we hadn't talked about yet in this World Series, the heart high. Uh, it all comes back to Hard High 2011, Bauer and By Mike way, Montgomery. So, Mike Montgomery, the Rashid Wallace of the Hard High basketball team, kicked off the team for too many technical fouls. Yes. So let me ask you that. Okay. Cornrows. That's, okay. that's the real. Yeah. It can't be Rashid without cornrows. Well, all I can say is bald online. Big, but bigger, I don't want to say feud, but less chummy teammate relationship. Trevor Bauer, Mike Montgomery, Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole. That's a tough call. I think I'm going to say, I'm gonna say push. I'm, I'm going to say, say Montgomery. <laughs> Montgomery's reason, a little bit more of a hothead than Garrett Cole. Although uh, Garrett Cole had the same reputation. What was he, an Orange Lutheran? Oh, yeah. He yep. had the same reputation when he was an Orange Lutheran. He was like ornery and sad. See, see I've, but, I've, I've gotten to know him. He's, he's just intense, but I wouldn't right. call him ornery. But he, had, no, he definitely he had that reputation yeah, in high school. There is yeah, no question. I just, 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 but no, I, he, the, but I, I, I mean, I agree with you, but I can tell you. Like, when he was, to me, Lackey's ornery. Cole's just intense. Like, like look there, at but, those two. But you're saying. That, that's what he is now. now. In high oh, school, oh, okay. he was he was told he, the, the scouts were like bad teammate. I mean, that was okay. that was out there consistently about Garrett Cole. I don't think it was fair necessarily, and I think he grew out of it somewhat. I think he channeled that intensity in a more uh, positive way. But he was he had the reputation of being a bad teammate, and he was focused on relentlessly because he was one of only two high school pitchers drafted in the first round of that draft. So he and it was Boris Klein out of high school. He people honed in on the makeup. We got a lot of reports on that. I, with him. I, I would uh, argue. I would argue. It's, Montgomery it's hard the basketball team is pretty bad. But no, no. The other thing I'm going to say is, is, remember, Trevor Bauer basically decided, and Montgomery was a year older than him. But Trevor Bauer decided, you know what? I'm not doing this senior year thing right. here. <laughs> I'd rather get gone. You know, yeah. and that. So I would say that that piece of evidence right there does lead to some to say that his heart high experience was more ornery than the common one. thread here is Trevor Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a different cat, and we all know that. But. Heart high, also James Shields. That's right, absolutely. That's a pretty, pretty good program. Yeah, um, up in Newhall. I mean, no. Arietta struggled last year in the cold. Everyone's talked about that. I mean, like, he's And today is the last time it's going to be really cold, it looks like, if the weather forecast holds up. I was looking at Chicago up. as I'm getting ready to pack and seeing what I need. It's, high, uh, it's, it's 60. 
Loves well, in the 50s, well, yeah. For my Southern California bones, that's very cold. But, uh, but <laughs> no, you are so, a... right, no, I was worried it would be like 39, oh, yeah, 42. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's 58 to 65. That's, we know that's Ari- doable. We know Arietta doesn't like to wear sleeves. I mean, we've saw, we all saw him in the body issue. We all saw too much of him in the body issue. But this guy's he's going to have to <laughs> – Jake Arietta's got a lot riding. And this is not last year's Jake Arietta. Bottom line, he hasn't been great this year. He's been erratic. He's had but... issues with command and – um, he doesn't hold runners well, as Bad Eddie said the other day. So, I don't know. Is it a must-win game for the Cubs, guys? I mean, it's, not, it's not must-win, but the same – because I do think that – I tweeted this as soon as the game was over last night, and they talked about it on the broadcast. I mean, it's a pretty obvious point. But that was that – was, that game was much more vital last night for the Indians, who really only have – I mean, it is in Corey Kluber we trust as far as the starting pitching than it is for the Cubs. So – even if the Cubs lost this game tonight, I still I think it's vital for them to win it. But if they lose this one, they, they go home for three. They go home for three. They're they're not. And they're going to have they have the pitching the starting pitching advantage in three of the remaining five. And you could argue, okay, you're not going to have it if it's Kluber. You know, when Kluber starts, maybe. But if you've got Kluber going on short rest, maybe that ends up kind of negating some of that. And Credit to the Indians to do it. It's not like Andrew Miller's not going to throw tonight because he went 46 last night. But it does mean you're not going to – you don't have to worry that you're going to see Andrew Miller from the 5th through the – you know, to turn it over to the 8th, probably. I think you're going to see him. I think you're going to see him. I think you're going to see him, and I think he will be used as aggressively as as if he had not pitched in game one. I, I don't disagree with you. I do think, though, the Cubs who put together about as good an A-B's – they put together better ABs against Andrew Miller last night right. than the Blue Jays ever dreamed of doing. They, and did they still they, didn't get him, and they but they still didn't get him. But they did at least they did that they last night. They made it night. interesting. They loaded the bases. Which if is Miller a more victory against Andrew Miller, yeah. <laughs> if Miller is a little less tonight, which is possible because right. he threw forty six, right? If he's a little less, that means that okay, so he's almost he's only near immortal. He's not right. immortal. That again, you have these situations where you say, "No, this is a game that shapes up pretty well." We don't know what we're going to get from from Trevor Bauer. I yeah. mean, we we do not know that Trevor Bauer is not going to be bleeding all over the ball in the first inning. Exactly. Inter. I just hope we don't have him right. bleeding. That, that, a that's bleeding my out. that's my whole thing. And I mean, we, we <laughs> bleeding out of his whatever. I mean, to use the current vernacular. Sorry, I can't believe had to go there. there. You know, we, you know, that's the other thing here. I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of a laughing, jokeable. Oh, you know, he could have thrown a drone. Will he bleed out? But I mean. You know, it's serious. If you have to go and use your bullpen for, you know, eight innings again, maybe, you know, especially for a team that already has a, mis- you know, mysterious game four starter, probably will be Kluber on short rest. But, I mean, this, I this, is, not, this is not a exceptional – they have a very good bullpen, and they've gotten a lot of stand-up pitching performances. Mm-hmm. But even with that, you really don't want to stretch it where, okay, you're going to have to give us eight innings tonight, and then – I don't think anyone expects Josh Tomlin to give you, you know, eight scoreless in Game Three. I mean, you're probably going to need at least three or four of those guys again. If in you game get five three. out of Josh Tomlin, you're popping champagne. If you get four, then, you go, good job, Josh. So, Thank you. I mean, it's something where I think the Indians could really, really, really benefit, even if Bauer just gives them five innings. You know, just just don't have that same issue where. Oh crap! He's done after two thirds. He won't stop. Right. Okay. That could actually be problematic for how the rest of the series lines up. I know you said mystery. You know who's going to start Game Four? 
Okay, I'll start with you, I'm just saying, technically, no, no, it's TBD. Technically. What are the... Give me the percentage <laughs> the chance. Game four, I was going to say 99. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying, technically, officially, I it's TBD. I don't think there's any way you take him out last night with a three-run lead after one batter. I even with Schwarber agree. up, there's just no way that you take him out because he's been so effective against everybody. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm underestimating the data that By the says... Way, Third, two through a line, third time through a lineup, that kind of thing. But the other, the other part of that is, is I'm probably underestimating. is a little less an issue with that when you I look know, at what I, his, I think, his complete game and shutout streak. I mean, he's, but, right. I but, still think I'm probably underestimating that because Andrew Miller. That is the that is the reason that, that that's why you that, that's why you would use if you're going to use Andrew Miller at all in the seventh inning, you use him to face Schwarber. You want him facing their mm-hmm. best left hand hitter, and that's what they did. So, but uh, but what I was going to say was is the one thing with Kluber if he does go short, they did a good job of spelling this out. Look at how many innings Kluber has thrown. Look at how many pitches Kluber has thrown in October. This is, he is, as much as he's been vital for them, this is actually not heavy a heavy workload from this month. It's actually a light workload because they've actually wrapped up some series and all. Yeah. He's had a whole lot of rest to and he, where... In the last two years, he threw 236 innings and 222, and he was 215 in the regular season this year, so... And he's a horse. I mean, he's he always been a true number one. He's, he's a, a he's a, and he's been durable. Like even you know our 2010 scouting report. Basically, he you know talks about one of the things we kept talking about over and over. Yeah, he had a he had an injury in high school. He had a stress a fracture. He had a screw in his, his elbow and all that. But durability is something that Corey Kluber always had. Yeah. No. He and he and he, uh, he was outstanding last night. So at the end of a long season, uh, Corey Kluber still very good. We'll see what we get out of Trevor Bauer and uh, Jake Garrietta tonight. Longer podcast this morning. Time to wrap it up. But uh, we'll be back at it again tomorrow. Day off. But we'll break down game two. Look ahead to the rest of the World Series. Kyle's headed to Chicago to see some history. Lucky for you. And do remember, everyone, this game starts an hour earlier than scheduled tonight because they moved it up because of the rain. Yeah. (laughs) My son is excited about it. And uh, I think he's going to get disappointed and get a rain out. So I just remember from our winter meetings gala last year where Bud Selig talked about his his passion for watching the weather uh, and the radar and all that kind of stuff. I don't think Rob Manfred shares it, so he'll probably leave it to the weather folks instead of the commissioner in a trench coat <laughs> oh, being right there. There's a window here coming open. That, 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 that apparently was one of Bud Selig's passions, so uh, another way that we've uh, changed in the front office of uh, Major League Baseball. So uh, great stuff, guys. Thanks for all your time this morning. Thank you for the downloads here at BaseballAmerica.com or at iTunes. For Kyle and JJ, I'm John. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.